0: Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So, are you ready to die? It's a very serious question. Are you? Are you ready to go today? Tomorrow, next month, 20 years from now, you don't know when it's going to happen, but you do know that it is going to happen. Welcome to episode number 47. Today I want to talk about the taboo subject of death. I've been sprinkling it throughout this whole podcast because it's the most important topic of all. So I'm excited to talk to Dr. Nicole Burris, who is a professional end-of-life counselor. She's an author, she's a grief counselor, and she's helped many people transition through their death, as well as the family around them. There's so much to talk about because it's such a heavy topic with, you know, micro-topics that fall underneath the big topic and it's just this big tree with lots of branches so i'm glad to have an expert on to talk death 101 dr burris hello
1: hi dr reese how are you
0: oh i can't complain welcome to the peace pod we are alive (laughs) so we're able to talk about this how amazing is this whole death thing huh
1: so death is amazing because most of us limit our death experience to our religious experience. And believe it or not, it has nothing to do with religion, but it's really about spirituality. Yeah. So whether someone is a Buddhist or they're Christian or they're Catholic or they're atheist or agnostic or whatever it is, there are just some end of life phenoms that happen that I can't explain to make sense because they don't make sense, right? Hmm. But neither does dying. But we all have to die at some point in time.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you just spoke on that, sort of the esoteric spiritual side. But before we get into all that, can you shed some light on sort of the basics?
1: When we're talking about end of life, we're thinking really about the other person, the person that's dying, which yes, we need to think about, but we also have to begin thinking about the people that are experiencing the watching of the death, which sometimes can be very difficult, especially if they're not educated in what they're seeing or why they're seeing it, whether or not they're in denial of what's happening or accepting of what's happening. So all of that really makes a difference in the person that's dying right so you know oftentimes as we're going through our loved ones will stop eating they'll stop drinking right and that's really the hard part one of the hardest things to have to endure because we're an eating society we associate eating with health right yeah
0: yeah, and comfort
1: absolutely absolutely and so what happens is When we try to force, for lack of better words, our loved one to eat or drink, what people don't realize is it really causes more discomfort for that person. Because as we're dying, the body really doesn't need nor does it want all the nourishment, right? Right, It doesn't want water. It doesn't want the eggs and the bacon, those kinds of things. So it's important to understand that when we overly encourage someone to eat or we make them feel like they have to eat because the body can't digest it the way it ought to. It sits and it causes more discomfort for our loved one. Mm. And then it goes into places that it shouldn't go. And, you know, you start swelling and those kinds of things. So eating and not drinking is okay. Mm. It's really the body's way of going back to its natural state. Mm. Right. Um, One of the other things that, you know, when someone is dying, one of what families struggle with is, do I do I become a do not resuscitate or am I a full code? And unfortunately, I think that that's also where, you know, we see Hollywood. Right. And we see, oh, my gosh, you know, if, if we don't do CPR, then I'm killing you right? But that's not the case. And so what happens is for someone, especially if they have a terminal illness, cancer, you know, cardiac arrest, you know, um, chronic heart failure, those kinds of things, doing CPR is very difficult and traumatic because Mm -hmm. you can actually stand to uh, crush some ribs, right? because it's a very harsh technique. It's not, I know we see the one, two, three blow, you know, and it seems so easy, but it's not in order because the heart is covered by the rib cage. And really in order for it to get a jump start, you've got to push pretty hard. And for someone who is already terminal, the trauma of that and the likelihood of someone coming back with CPR is slim to none. Mm -hmm. But even if they do, they don't come back talking. And so now you have a whole nother can of worms. So those are some of the things that we see, and it is traumatic. And we have had people, very few that have decided to do that. But when you have a terminal, a person who is terminal or their wish is just to die peacefully, then that's really what do not resuscitate means. It's just so that they can have a peaceable death.
0: Yeah, this is information that a lot of people aren't thinking about
1: right and and people and they don't and because we associate cpr with living and we associate a do not resuscitate with dying right and the key and the ultimate thing is we don't want our loved ones to die but if you have a faith of any kind um and even if if you're an atheist the ultimate goal is death right we live to die that's right, and so we have to begin thinking about those things. And nobody wants to lose a loved one, no matter the circumstance, whether it's a car mm-hmm. accident, whether it's a terminal illness, whether it's a stroke or a heart attack. But these are some things that we do have to really consider and think about. And to whose, to whose glory, you know, to whose um, satisfaction, other than the person who's making the decision. But what about the dying? Right. You know, what does the person who's dying, what do they want? Don't their wishes matter?
0: I've said this on the podcast. I I've been volunteering for a little bit. I haven't seen nearly as much as you. But in my experience, I've noticed that it's the people around the person dying that do the suffering for the most part. Mm-hmm. Because they're at some point, the dying accept that they're dying, and at that point it's just about comfort right
1: it is it really is about comfort, and then we we have our own emotions, so everybody grieves differently, and everybody goes through the process differently and what happens is that when we fail to respect. Where someone else is, then we really fail to respect the dying so for example, um, if you have a father with five children, it's one father, but five different relationships right, right. or a mother or grandmother doesn't matter there this same one person, but that person has a different relationship with everybody around them. So everybody will grieve differently. So I might be the kind that's laughing and joking because I'm at peace with what's happening. My brother could be crying and tearful my sister can just be out of control with anxiety mm. and then the other two could be whatever. And so now everybody's looking at me because I'm laughing and they're trying to figure out, well, why are you laughing? Because he's dying. And I could be looking at my brother like, why are you crying? And so what happens is there are differences, but we don't understand why, why we're not doing it the same way.
0: What a dynamic
1: and so we have to remember that we're all different we're individuals and so we ha- we deal with it differently and maybe my laughter and my joking is just how i'm coping maybe laughter is my coping mechanism and we and when mm-hmm. we don't have the right people around us to help coach us through this trying moment it can really cause Mm -hmm. heightened frustrations among the family and tension and this Mm -hmm. is really the time that everybody needs to come together in harmony in peace and in love
0: so this is where you come in right so not only do you work with the actual dying but you work with the family around the dying
1: that is correct yes
0: and so you can coach them you you can tell them look you guys all have different relationships, you know, you can explain that to them and kind of break it down.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, help coach them, help them identify where they are, help them find assurance and affirmation about where they are in the process. Mm. You know, why they cope the way they do or better yet, how how can we get other coping mechanisms and other coping strategies so that we can all be on one accord there's nothing worse than having someone who's dying who wants the family to come together and the family just keeps tearing each other apart because dying is not easy you know if it's not easy for us as the the living imagine what it's like for the one who's actually going through the process
0: yeah and and i've also heard of cases where uh, it's not happening properly because the family is disturbing their process. Correct,
1: correct. And sometimes the the patient, one the patient needs peace. Think about, think about if you've ever really had a really bad cold, and I hate to say this now, but the flu, right? Right. right. You really don't want to be bothered. Give me my toast. Give me my tea. Hand me the yeah. remote. Get out. Yeah. Right. It's heightened, and you really just want peace, you want calm, you want quiet. So it's heightened when someone is dying. They don't want you arguing. They don't want you sitting, waiting, watching them die. Right. You know, so this is also a spiritual journey for him or her.
0: It's private. It's private. It
1: is. It is. And sometimes they just need that permission to go, but they want to make sure that the family is good. You know, and oftentimes I hear, well, they know that. I tell, you know, my families, tell them that you'll be okay. Tell them that mom, you're going to look after mom. And they're like, well, he knows that already. But if you think about your day-to-day um, communications with your family, with your mom, your grandma, your dad, your sisters, your brothers, your children, when you're on the phone, you say, I love you. Why? It's the affirmation of what they already know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they just need that affirmation, but it is a very spiritual journey um, and it should be full of love and comfort um, and peace, Because especially if you have a faith, depending on what your faith is, it, it's their journey and they have the right to journey it. Um, we don't have the right to take that from them. We don't have the right to cause them more anguish than what they're already going through because we right. don't know what their internal turmoil might be.
0: You know, some, or, some might be at peace and some might be scared out of their mind.
1: Absolutely. And so it's just important that we come together. Um, And sometimes what happens is our loved ones come back for us. Now, you know, some choose to believe and some don't, but that's okay. I've seen it across the board. I've seen it with Buddhists. I've seen it with atheists. I've seen it with all faiths that they end up having an encounter with someone that has already gone on to provide them comfort and support about their journey, because it's just that it's their journey. And they have the right to journey the way they so choose.
0: So you're saying some sort of spirit or entity may enter the room and, and speak with the, the dying. Is that Yes.: yeah.
1: Yes, and I'm not talking about ghosts and goblins or anything like that. I'm not a medium. I'm not a mystic. However, mm-hmm. you know, you will hear, you know, I have heard um, patients talk about Uncle Joe, you know, where did Uncle Joe go and Uncle jo- Joe died like ten years ago but one case in point if i can i had a i had a patient who was fairly young she was in her 50s this was probably about 10 years ago her hus she had been married for about 26 years at that time her husband's father died when he was only 3 so he didn't know his dad he had mm. no pictures of his dad in the home and she kept seeing this man so he would go through the house. And he was like, there's no man here. He thought she was crazy. And he told me she was crazy. So after talking with her, I asked her to describe the man. When she described him, he was in awe because it was his father. And it was a picture that he had when he was a teenager of his father. And she had never seen it because he no longer had it. Hmm. So, you know, I like to tell people that story because we never knew and she never met his father, of course, because he died when the boy when her husband was only three. Right. So, you know, they do exist, they do come to help usher us into our next existence and just to let her know why he came for her, I have no idea.
0: Well I've but heard Yeah, just- I've heard stories like that before when uh, a shocking death happens, like a car accident. Mm-hmm. And there's no time to process the death process, it's just you're boom, dead, right. and then uh, some sort of spirit has to come and right be a guide.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, every now and again, the person gets revived and then they can share that story. So, right, uh, there's there's it's a mis- you know, it's life's a mystery,
1: <laughs> it is, and dying is even a greater mystery, you know, yeah. we live to die. Yeah. But, but dying is not easy and it's not easy to let anybody go. You know, I did write a book, um, death and dying. What does it look like to help Mm. people who have someone that might be on hospice or has a terminal illness, what to expect? Because what I found in all of my years doing this is that when people have an understanding of what they're seeing, and have an understanding of what to expect. It makes it easier. Doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier to accept, to deal with, and go through the process and go through the journey.
0: And that's exactly why we're doing this recording right now. Right. Let's talk about fear. Mm-hmm. How much fear have you seen in some of these people? And and what do you do? What do we do to uh, to help them not be scared?
1: So fear, I've seen a lot of fear, and it just depends on what the fear is, is some of them, most people are afraid of dying, but they are afraid of the process. Most people are afraid of either one, being in pain, two, gasping for air, like especially if you have COPD, because that's a real-
0: My dad has it, yeah.
1: Take in, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, usually the process. And- it just depends on where they are, whether or not they have hospice or what kind of medicines that they're on, just reassuring them of comfort meds. Uh, if the person isn't yet on comfort meds, and I kind of encourage the family to go that route so that the patient can be comfortable. Hmm. Um, fear of leaving their loved ones behind, fear of not knowing what's going to happen to the wife. Like is the wife gonna be able to keep the house or are the kids gonna do right by the wife or those kinds of things? What's gonna happen to those that have disabled children or children with uh, other challenges in life and how are they gonna be cared for, especially if they were in the home, who's gonna look after them? So it really just depends on the family is, and so depending on the fear, it de- depends on how I'm able to coach them through the process to give them comfort and peace.
0: Would you say that the COPD people, the emphysema type people, the ones that are going to be gasping for air, is that is that the worst way or is it all equal?
1: It, it depends, and that's really not something that I can answer, but even for those who have COPD or emphysema, if they have the right comfort measures in place, um, I know people don't like to talk about morphine. They get real googly-eyed with that, but morphine really is not um, a killer drug, so to speak, as people think it is. Right. It really does help to provide comfort and ease of breath. Um, it, it just depends. Most, most of the time, again, if they have the right comfort measures in place, even COPD, most of them have a very peaceable dying experience.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so are there ever any patients that decline drugs and they're like, no, I want to go natural? Yes.
1: Absolutely, and it depends on on the patient and their comfort. Some are just absolutely against it, but that's their right, and it makes it harder for the family because the patient suffers. You see the patient in pain, you know when you're trying to perform personal care on the patient or when you're trying to sit the patient up, or when you're um, maybe trying to feed the patient if the patient's still able to eat or drink. Because he or she is in pain and that hurts you. And it gives the living, you know, those that are caring for him, a sense of helplessness. Mm -hmm. And even with that, it's just comfort in knowing that they're honoring the wishes of their loved one. If they don't want the medicine, they have every right to decline.
0: Let's talk about age. If someone's, you know, 80 years old, They've, they've lived a so-called full life right they're like mm-hmm. I, I would I would have to think that an 80 year old person is more accepting but then yes what and about no. yeah There's so-
1: <laughs> yes and no it okay. really and so even with that dr Reese it depends on the patient's life most people mm-hmm. who are 80 will say I lived a good life I' you know I'm ready but depending on how healthy they are or how active they were can impact that. And they might not be ready yet. You know, if you have an 80 year old, that's still like a 50 year old, you know, in mind and body, they're just not ready. But for the most part, yes, they are more accepting they're ready. And believe it or not, most people know that it's happening, even when we don't want to talk about the D word, you know, we don't want to talk about dying. Um, but most people know it's just like right before you catch a cold, before you start sneezing, before you start coughing, you know that you're about to get a cold.
0: Right. right. And it's
1: the same thing in dying, believe it or not, that just because we don't want to talk about it doesn't mean it's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, it's, ta- so- it's taboo.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So most 80 year olds or older are a little more accepting.
1: Mm -hmm, Correct.
0: But then you have, let's say a 30 year old who got cancer or was in a very bad car accident. Mm -hmm. I would have to guess, and you confirm or not, that these poor people are very unaccepting
1: that is true and it it, and it is harder and they fight the most and they fight the hardest um trying to do it so even to go back to your question about no meds we recently had a patient who was 46. Mm. no children her husband was a few years her senior but she fought didn't she, she would not take medicine until it was absolutely she struggled she struggled as she was dying and we had to finally medicate her but it happens you know they're young they've got kids what's going to happen to my kids you know but not even that but the parents we we have younger grandparents now and so someone who is 30 or 40 might have grandkids and so the the heartbreak of not being able to see your grandchildren grow up, you know, is is devastating. It can be devastating. But again, that's where I come into play. And I come in to help provide that comfort and the surety of life, mm. um, you know, helping them mm, facilitate their faith beliefs as they are going in their life journey. Um to, so that they can find a sense of peace, no matter how long it takes.
0: I used to go to a, a barber shop, and the owner was a young lady and, you know, everything seemed fine. And then one day I came in and she wasn't there and I was like, oh, where, you know, where's so-and-so? And the other barber is like, oh, she's dead. Like, huh? Yeah. 34 years old, brain cancer, Mm -hmm. three kids and a husband. She went fast, right? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it just, so I I can't imagine what this woman went through on her deathbed at 34 years old with three kids and a business.
1: Mm Mm-hmm
0: right with employees
1: right yeah and it's it's hard and when they are young and when you have young caregivers or young family members around the same age it really makes you it can rock you because it makes you think of your own mortality yes. you know and it makes you want to embrace how you live right in living like you, like you can, because tomorrow is not promised to any of us. No. And um, one of the things that I have told some of my clients is we have a false sense of time because we think that we will, that we should live until we're 80 or 90, right? Yeah. That's really a false expectation because that's not a guaranteed timeframe for any of us. No. And like, like yourself, you know, for the 34 year old, she's 34 and we're thinking, wow, you know, she's had her own business. She still has so much life to live. And yet, yeah, on one hand she did, but on the other hand, she lived her full life. You know, and so we, we lose track that of that also.
0: That was her, and, that, was, that was her earth sentence, if you will.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, and, and it is hard though, you know, when you think about, well, you know, I have kids that age, you know, what would they do? And it, we really have to get into a state of preparedness for that and begin talking about yeah end of life decisions. And not wait until something happens, not wait until someone gets sick, not wait until someone is in the hospital with something before we start making those decisions, because then our judgment is a little bit more clouded. Mm. And we now we really don't want to think about it, but we should. Mm. And it helps to lessen the anxiety that we have about dying.
0: The 34-year-old will never see her children graduate high school you know Correct. but the the lesson of it the test if you will is that now it's almost a device for the husband to become Mm -hmm. stronger and more connected and for the children to become stronger and more connected and it's going to greatly affect those three kids in that man's life forever and so there's there's it's like a device, a lesson to, 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 to enhance.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and learning how to cope. And so with those children, it's going to be cyclical grief. Um, They're going to wish their mom was there for middle school graduation, high school graduation, college graduation, first boyfriend, first girlfriend, first heartbreak, right? Wedding. Um, any major events, they're always going to wish mom was there, but yes, it should unify them. But again, this is also where faith comes into play because our faith should allow us the comfort and the peace of mind to be able to get through. What a lot of people try to do is say, get over it. You will never ever get over it over the death of someone who impacted your life, but you can get through it, Mm. right? It's just like a tunnel. If I'm driving my car, I can't go over the Holland Tunnel, but I can get through it. And as I'm going through, it's going to be congested. It's going to be dark, but I know that on the other side, there is light. Mm -hmm. And even in our grieving process, we have to remember that there is light and life is still worth living. There is still a lot of life to live, a lot of things to do, and a lot of things to accomplish. Um, I think that when we go from, you know, the dying aspect and we enter into the grieving, the full grieving aspect, We put a timetable on it. There is no timetable, right? Because everybody grieves differently and in different amounts of time. But if we rely on our faith, our faith will help get us through regardless of beliefs.
0: Right. Do you see a difference between a faith-based person, like say Christian, Jewish, Buddhist versus the atheist? do you see a difference?
1: Yes. Usually the atheists are a little harder in their demeanor when it comes to death and acceptance. And I think a lot of that is because for some of them, they just think, oh, well, there's nothing there. So it's no big deal. Um, Some of them who, it's hard to stomach the fact that you'll never see their loved one again, but because you don't believe. So I actually have a family that I'm working with now. She is atheist. The My client is atheist. Her husband is Catholic.
0: Mm.
1: And so she doesn't think that she will ever see her husband again. And for her husband, that's kind of harsh because that's not what he believes. So it's really a matter of mm. trying to get her, really not trying to get her to meet any other need than her own but she's okay with it. She's okay with dying, but her husband is not because he fears that he will not see her again. So the faith does play a factor in how someone passes away and how someone gets through their grieving process.
0: Hmm. How has this profession, this, this job that you do, how has it affected your life as Nicole, the person?
1: It really hasn't. Believe it or not, I believe that this was a calling that I was called to do what I do Hmm. because I have the gift of help. I have the gift of helping people get through dark moments and times in their lives. Um, and that for me is the ultimate satisfaction. Um, I have the ability to cut off. I am in the moment with my patients, Um, I think the only time that it really impacts me is if there is someone I know that is terminally ill or not doing well, and nobody wants to talk about it. Um, My husband tells me that, you know, you can't always be so direct with everybody else because they don't understand. Hmm. Um, But uh, it's what I do, you know, naturally. And that's how it really affects me is, you know, when I'm trying to help friends, Or, you know, if people call me and say, hey, I have somebody, you know, my mom or this kind of thing, um, that's when it impacts me the most is when people don't want to take the necessary measures to do what needs to be done. One, for their own mental health and two, for the comfort and assurance of their loved one. That's when it impacts me. But other than that, it really, it really doesn't.
0: In order for you to do this, you have to have A heck of a bedside manner, correct? I
1: mean. Yes, absolutely.
0: Are you a nurturer by nature?
1: I am. I am a nurturer by nature, but I also believe in meeting people where they are. So I have learned how to meet people where they are with no expectation of them being anything other than, and I think, I believe that's what makes me so exceptionally good at what I do. And being able to help people understand the dying process. Because once they can understand the dying process, then they can also begin to understand the grieving process because they're not one in the same.
0: Right, right. It makes sense. Yeah. So you have to deal with different faiths. So you might have a patient that's Buddhist. Mm -hmm. You might have a patient that's Catholic. You might have a patient that's. Daoist. there's not many Taoists around here but mm-hmm. what types of different rituals have you seen or processes so,
1: so believer I've seen the incense I've seen the the shrouds I've seen the tarot cards I've seen it all hmm. so it's For me, it's not about what I believe, right? Because what I believe isn't going to get them where they need to go. Mm. And so what's important is being able to recognize and understand what they need for their next life journey to come to pass. And just being able to be in the moment.
0: It's so refreshing to hear that.
1: Yeah, because a lot of people can't do that. A lot of people aren't able to cut off. Mm -hmm. what they feel or what they believe to be their own personal convictions. That's right. But my personal convictions are not your convictions. So That's right. right. Wherever you are and wherever you need to be, my role as an end-of-life coach is to get you there. It's not about me getting you where I think you should be. It's about getting you where you want to be. And if I'm able to do that, then I have done my job well.
0: Well said. How many people dying have you come across that are happy? Like they're like, this is great. I can't wait for this to happen.
1: I'd probably say about a handful. Hmm. Some people are, some people are really in tune with their faith. Um, They know where they're going. They have no fears of it and they embrace it. So, But yeah, a lot of them, th- this is what they've lived for. They've lived to die so they can live again.
0: And, you know, that's how, that's how I feel. And the other thing is a lot of people are scared to die because they haven't accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. And so they mm-hmm. feel like they're, they're not finished. I can't die now. I got more mm-hmm. things to do.
1: Right. And that happens too. And so depending on where they are in the process, I help them with it. If it's a book, I'll help them finish their book. If it's painting or writing, you know, I'll help them paint or write or have somebody paint or write. I had one client who was a painter and she just had like a studio full of pictures that she wanted to donate, but she hadn't gotten around to identifying them. So I, showed, I asked her, showed her her pictures, who is this going to, and wrote the name on it. And what I couldn't do, I had her family chip in. I had another patient who was writing a book. She, she was an older patient. She was in her 80s, she was a teacher. She had published, uh, she had written two books about 30 years ago, but never got them published. Mm. And then she was writing her life journey, um, a memoir. And so um, helped her write that and was able to get the first two books to a publisher so that they could be published. She didn't want to sell them, but she wanted them for the family to have. So able to get it to a publisher to publish it. And then the third book was able to put it together for her and then give to her family for her family to do with what they wanted to. They weren't sure if they wanted to have it published or what they were doing because it was so personal and so intimate because it was as she was going through her, her life journey process. So it's just depending on where they are. If with that unfinished business, if I can help, I'll help. Um, Otherwise, if they need to, uh, if, somebody else needs to do it, I kind of encourage them to get it, whether it's a lawyer or, you know, a realtor or whoever it is, so that they can feel a sense of accomplishment and not having such uh, a loss of control.
0: Yes. I mean, that is so cool that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, you you did that with her and did did she live long enough to see it get at least published to the family?
1: She saw the two books, yes. The two books got published while she was still living, and it was the third book because, of course, it was her memoir. So she was, she was actually writing up until three days before she died.
0: Wow. And she, so, yeah, she, she, she probably had such satisfaction from that.
1: Absolutely. It's, it's what made her made living worth living. Or her dying worth dying for.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you ever ask a client that's dying? Do you hey, is there anything you ever wanted to do that I could help you with right now?
1: Yes, always. Yeah. Because I never know, you know, if there's any unfinished business that needs to be taken care of. So always, that's important. That's that's a vital that's a vital part of their journey too, and them feeling fulfilled that they can let go, and that's
0: important. If you don't let go, you get dragged.
1: Correct. And sometimes you, you do. You just drag on. And um, the goal is to, to die peaceably without, without that emotional baggage.
0: I think the key word is contentment. Yes. <laughs> to feel content. And I talk about yes. that a lot on this podcast. and You know, using myself as an example, I, I feel so content. Like, I'm 40. I've pretty much done everything I wanted to do. So everything's bonus at this point. And I feel, uh, I feel very satisfied.
1: Oh, wonderful. Amen.
0: So, you know, everything I do now is like bonus. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I don't know if many people can say that. And I, uh, I just urge people to just don't put things off. Just if you have something, I don't like to use the word dream. But right. if you have an intention to do something, if you always wanted to do something, then, 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 then do it.
1: Yeah, and I, I encourage people the same. If you want to travel, travel. Don't wait until you retire because when you retire, you might not be able to travel. Right. If there's something that you want to do, do it. if you want to go parasailing, if you want to go snorkeling or skydiving, do it, make time to do it. because again, tomorrow is not promised to any of us. Um, and and you know, dying should actually be a beautiful experience. And yes. I know people say, how can you say that? Because dying is just like living, right? When we come into this world, it is a beautiful experience. When a woman gives birth, it is a hard experience on a woman right? The overall experience is hard. It's hard on the baby and the baby comes out all junky, Mm -hmm. but it's a beautiful experience, you know, Mm. with the pain and everything and dying should also be a beautiful experience. It should be an experience that we don't, that we, we don't cringe or turn away from, but one that we really embrace because it could be as good and as it can be, you know, and I understand that for some of us, it's very traumatic, you know, in how we go. But, you know, the a good death experience, you know, also helps us with our coping mechanisms as well.
0: Right. Like you say, if we're prepared for this, when that moment happens, even if it's a bad accident of some sort, you know, the experience will be better.
1: Right. And we do. And we have to start talking about that. We don't. Um, well, you know, do you want to be buried or do you want to be cremated? I don't mm. know why that's a hard topic for people, but it is. Who do you want to use? Are you a military vet? Do you want to have military honors? Do you want to be buried in a military cemetery, wherever you are? Or the veteran cemetery, excuse me. You know, um, what do you want to wear? And for some people, they find that it's morbid, but it isn't. What happens is we wait. We wait until it happens and then we're running around trying to get everything in place. And at that point, that's the time that you should really be grieving with your family. So you lose two or three days because you didn't make the plans. When you, when I travel, if I want to go to California I'm going to plan my trip to California. I'm going to plan the hotel. I'm going to plan what airline I'm going on. I'm going to plan what I'm going to do when I'm there. If I go to the Caribbean, the same thing. So why aren't we planning for the end of life so that it's less stressful? That's right. So because I don't wait until the day I'm leaving to say, oh, well, I'm going to go fly United today today. Or I'll wait till I get to California to find a hotel. We don't do that, right? Yeah. Because it's added stress. So when even before we get sick, what about life insurance? Do you have life insurance outside mm. of your job? Because if you lose your job, then you lose your life insurance. And then mm. what?
0: Right.
1: So these are all conversations that I have with my clients to get them to the place where they need to be. And all of my clients aren't old. They're young. You know, I have clients who are 40 and 50, and it's really just a matter of helping them get their life affairs in order so that when the life journey begins, they're ready and they're prepared.
0: Mm. You know,
1: my mother, my grandmother, I did it with, my in-laws, I've done it with, my, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, um, especially if you, if you have an illness, you know, MS, MS, cerebral palsy, if you have a disability of any kind, you should already be forward-thinking about what do you want to have happen, should anything happen. Because it helps the family, because then if I know that you want to be cremated, but somebody else wants you to be buried, I could say, I'm honoring so-and-so's wishes because this is what they wanted, especially with blended families. It's very important because I can want one thing and my, if I had a stepfather, my stepfather might want something else for my mom. And now yeah. we're at a conflict. Hmm. So it's very important that e- even as we're talking about death and dying, that we really talk about what are we doing while we're living? Diabetes is a big one now, you know, and it's running rampant, young and old. Mm. so we really do have to begin preparing and What is it? You know your life insurance policy at one point was just to cover the burial. well, a burial is going to cost you anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand dollars, and that's a generic burial right um. But what if you're young, like you said, the 34 year old woman, Mm -hmm. you know, she's young with the business kids, I'm sure a house. So if, so now you go from a two person household to a one person household, her life insurance should have been able to cover the household for at least six months to a year so that the husband can kind of get, stay on his feet and stay ahead of the game and not fall behind. Those are the kinds of things that I discuss with my clients and helping them with their life choices.
0: Mm. One of the interesting dynamics of dying has a lot to do with ego and sort of clinging to the material world. And one of the things I bring up on this podcast a lot, and and it, it might sound depressing to some people, but... Yeah, when you die, your family's going to be affected, but eventually they're going to die. The next generation's going to die. And then the generation after that is going to die, and we all die. Right. Who the heck is going to remember us in 300 years?
1: (laughs) I think we all want a legacy, but I think our legacy is right now. I think that what's happening is it's not for the person that's dying. But, for those that are left behind, because we don 't want you to go right, like you said i don 't want you to go for my own selfish reasons, mm-hmm. right It could be whatever the reason is, um, but I think we all want a legacy, right like I want a legacy for my children. I want my children to remember you know who their mom was, and I would hope that they would pass down to my grandchildren, and then my grandchildren would pass down. Um, I don't think that really impacts the one that is dying though, because you do all that while you're living. So it goes back to what you said earlier, live. If there's something you want to do, do it, right? Don't wait about it. Um, But for us that are living to not be selfish and give our loved one the opportunity to die in peace with dignity and love. Mm.
0: What advice would you give to, Someone that's, that's in a position where uh, they have a loved one dying right now, what would be your advice?
1: My advice would be talk often, kiss, hold hands. Um, it just depends on where they are and what's happening is, is did the person just find out about it but that that really is my my main advice. be the family that you've always been. continue doing what you can do until you can't do it any
0: longer. <laughs> Something just pops in my head. what have you ever seen a situation where the person dying didn't have the best relationship with say, a brother, sister or a kid, but the death brought them together? Yes, yeah
1: mm-hmm. and oftentimes so that's part of that's part of the rec- reconciliatory work also because that also helps them die peacefully and, and being able to say the I'm sorrys and the I love you's right being at peace that helps them to be at peace
0: makes a lot of sense well I, I, I hope I hope listeners got a lot out of this I, I know death is a taboo subject correct but
1: it is and it really shouldn't be
0: no we, we got to talk about it and so I'm very satisfied by this conversation and, you know, Hey, listen, get ready to die. All of us. Let's go.
1: That's right. It's
0: just a vacation to me, man. Let's go.
1: Yeah. You know, listen, if you're a Christian, then Mm -hmm. you already know that you're heaven bound. The scripture Mm -hmm. tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Mm -hmm. So as soon as your heart stops, you are in the twinkling of an eye already in heaven's gates. Mm-hmm. Christ tells us that, right? And if you're Catholic, then you also know that you are heaven bound. If you're Jewish, you know that eventually you're going to be heaven bound. That is where you will be in the second coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so wherever it is, that's whatever your faith is. You have to trust in your faith as you're dying and lean on it to know that your glory will come. It just how or when just depends on what you believe
0: right and if you're buddhist should be beautiful if you're buddhist then you're coming back (laughs) and you're
1: absolutely
0: you're going through school again
1: (laughs) absolutely so yeah so whatever that is you know i had somebody tell me she wanted to come back as a cherry blossom tree and i was like all right i'm good with it i like cherries
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right that's great
1: you know so yeah so get ready absolutely
0: so where, where can the listeners find your book and where can they come say hello to you?
1: Oh, you can uh, find my website is www. It's www.drnicoleburris.com. You can purchase my books from there. I'm on Amazon as well. You can reach me on Facebook, Dr. Nicole Burris, um, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All again, Dr. Nicole Burris.
0: All right, there it is. Dr. Nicole Burris, I appreciate your time.
1: All right, thank you, Dr. Risa. I appreciate you ever so much. You have a great day on purpose.
0: And what a lead-in. On the next episode, 48, I'm talking to John Scott, who had a near-death experience and supposedly met God. You don't want to miss that one. Hmm. If you're looking for my work, go to DrReese.com. That's doctor spelt out. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also... Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an
1: episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.